0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny Connell, back to throw, first and down the pass, he keeps his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has got 10 rings, 22
1: for Raja. It's all the future of football right before
2: your eyes. Just yell it out, man, he can
1: Welcome to Off the Mesh with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell hanging out today. We got Barrett Salee is going to join us from my favorite spot in the world, SEC Media Days. Oh. This week. College, the one good thing is it's like college football is kicking off. That's right around the corner. ACC Media Days is going on too. And Larry Fedora, head coach of North Carolina, had some comments on the game of football and where it's headed. Yeah. And I cannot wait to talk about that. We'll do a little British Open uh, discussion too. Uh, but first, do you know what? It's hat day today. I decided to make it hat day. Uh, so you decided to make it yeah, hat day. Yeah. Cause I'm listening, uh, if you're, if you're just listening to the podcast, you can't see us. I'm right. wearing a baseball hat. Like I, I wear a hat 90% of the time, but I, I helped, I had like to, this throwback idea to just make a day hat day because I was on the Denver Broncos Fridays were a hat day at practice. Okay. Meaning, that like, sounds the, so corny. Well, it does, yeah. but like, here's the, but, here's like, the deal. But like, for a whole team, like, here's the deal. So, most teams I played on, Friday's was a lighter practice, but you would still wear your helmet and you'd still wear your shoulder pad. Right. Mike Shanahan was super friendly, like, player friendly. He didn't want us banging around, so we would just be in shorts and t-shirts oh. and helmets. Okay. So, if you won, you got to have a hat day, which was just wear a hat, whatever you wanted. You didn't have to wear a baseball hat. You, just, you didn't have to wear a now. Right. You weren't but practicing that day. But after games... Guys would be celebrating, talking about, we got a hat day on Friday. (laughs) You would have thought they were giving out like $25,000 bonuses for the win because you got to wear hats. So I'm going to think Thursday might be hat day. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go hoodies because I'm I'm a hoodie guy. So you go hat, I go hoodie. All right. That sounds good. We can rock that. All right. So yesterday we talked a little bit about it. It had broken literally a half hour before we came on and did the pod. Was the, uh, the Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan trade. So right. now it's official. We see some of the other pieces of the puzzle. So the Raptors get Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. The Spurs get DeMar DeRozan and Jacob, uh, Podal, uh, the, and a 2019 first round pick, uh, top 20 protected. Uh, you were very hard on the Raptors. So I yeah. want, I want to go back and just have a listen at your reaction to the Raptors in this trade and what it did for them. We're the number one team the the best record. Forget the record. Forget the record. Get them. Done. Forget them. No, I mean, they'll, they'll be, they'll be
2: good. They, they have right. a culture Third of winning. Third best team in the East? They have a culture of winning. Yeah, I would say, you know, in theory, I mean, I'm going to put Washington up there because of that backcourt. Um, I, I think that they could be good and they just, and Milwaukee Bucks have to be like licking chops too, because they're going to keep getting better, I think. So you've got now, a, a, a pool of four teams, um, in the Eastern Conference, maybe five, I guess, but they are, they, they can't be considered the favorite at this point. Like, Maybe they, maybe they have the best record in the regular season, but when it comes, push comes to shove and it's time to win, like you're going with the Sixers and you're going with Boston and then you'll start talking about Washington or Toronto.
1: So before we get to your comments there, we, so, so, you know, so I just did a Ron Burgundy bad, like with Jakob Pertel. So I, cause I, and I've done worse. I actually called Steph Curry, Stephen Curry one time when I was looking down at a prompter to read something. That's, that's where that came from. (laughs) But are you standing by your Toronto is, not any better. Like, your comments from yesterday, are you backing off those at all?
2: First of all, I hate that this stuff is archived because now, like, i got to really be consistent with what I'm saying, right? right. I'm stepping all over my own toes. I am sticking with it um, in terms of I think that at the end of the day, Boston and Philadelphia are going to be better than Toronto. So, and I think that a team like Milwaukee will be jockeying for whether they are better than Toronto or not at the end of the day. I do feel a little better uh, about the deal knowing that Danny Green is in the deal. Um... They, I didn't know what, what other pieces were going to move. Like, Jakob Pertel's a, a good piece, good young player out of Utah, but the jury's out on whether, like, he's really got a position in today's NBA. They still, they protected, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, OG Ananobi, um, they didn't have to come off of Norman Powell or, or Fred Van Vliet. So there are some pieces in place in Toronto and, in theory, like you're getting rid of DeMar DeRozan, a two-guard. Danny Green's a decent two-guard. He's not what he was four years ago, but he's a solid pro, can defend, can shoot to three. I mean, Kawhi is Kawhi, so there are some pieces there in Toronto. They maintained shape um, and, and, and added you know, Danny Green and Kawhi. There's a possibility there, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm sticking with Boston and Philly as my favorites to win the East.
1: Quick question. Is Toronto better now than they were two days ago? Are they a better team now? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause, Cause that's what Vegas says. Yeah. At. Like if you look at the odds of them to win the East, it's, it's, they're a stronger, uh, bet for them to be there. I think, I think they absolutely are because if you look player for player, there's no question and, but there is a question actually because it's how healthy is Kawhi Leonard. If he's healthy, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he was a top three player in the league not that long ago. Do you have a problem with that statement? Cause it's no, it I don't. Ron, it was uh, top five, PD, top, Top five. Top five. All right. Top five. Yeah. Right, I can see that. That's not really a problem, but yeah, I've right. nitpick right. with you. Top five. Right. So, but I mean, if you put him in the Eastern Conference, I think it's, a, it's, they're a much better team. I
2: think they're a better team as well. Um, and it, look, DeMar DeRozan was a re- is a really good player, but De- DeMar DeRozan represents like uh, a past generation of NBA style, right? Like he's not, I mean, he's stretching his range a little bit. I think last year he shot more threes than he ever has, but when you introduce a Danny Green, Again, he's probably a better defender than Demar Derozan, um, and really can spread the floor for you. It creates a whole lot of space that hasn't really existed in Toronto because they hadn't had uh, those type of players. So, yeah, again, you know, I it's why they say like don't don't go with like your first reaction sometimes when you're heated. (laughs) Like count backwards from ten, and like
1: breaks like ten minutes before the show, you got to come strong. Yeah, you come strong, right? That's
2: my job now. I got to come with an opinion, but I, I still, while I think they got better, I think that Boston got better. Like you're reintroducing Gordon Hayward and you're reintroducing Kyrie Irving and everybody else on that roster's got a year more experience. They're, they're right now actively trying to re-sign Marcus Smart. I think that Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Dario Saric, you reintroduce Markel Fultz into the fold. I think they'll be better. So while I think Toronto got better, I, I still would say that those two teams, in my opinion, are better. And then the wild card, obviously, and this is when it, when it really boiled down when I thought about the trade. Masai Ujiri is, is like, look, we'll swing for the fences. We got better. Worst case scenario, he's already had this conversation with his with his boss. We're gonna rebuild this. Like it's time to scrap it. We've done it four or five years. We've seen the ceiling for what this this group could look like. Um, so we'll start to rebuild. Part of that was getting off of the twenty seven point whatever Damar was due over the next three years. That's the first domino to fall. And so like we talked about yesterday, if they're able to shed that, Kawhi comes off the books if he doesn't stay put, um, Jonas Valanciunas opts out, you've got money to work with and then you can start your rebuild process.
1: I have a prediction. I don't think the drama is over. Mm. Like I, I still haven't seen, oh, I saw Popovich talk yesterday, you know, and I saw some other, sure. but I haven't heard from Kawhi Leonard. I haven't heard him, had heard him. So saying, what do you hey, imagine? I'm
2: what do you I, imagine? Like what, when you say the drama's not over, what is your, what is your head like concocting in terms I'm of scenarios saying here?
1: I'm Kawhi might play this out. A little bit longer. Like, I don't think he's gonna show up anytime soon and say, I love it. Like, well, I can't wait yeah, to that's not, in Toronto. That's like, right. I think he, I think he could still threaten some things. I think he could threaten to not play. Really? I, you, that could, you think he threatened? You think? I think it's already been reported right. that he might, that he didn't want to play in Toronto. He had no desire to be there. It's been reported that there are rumors that, you know, reported rumors, all oh, this is kind of what we do in the offseason, but that he might consider still sitting out on the Raptors, so I still think there's drama. Now I'm not saying like if you said, "Hey, will he be on this squad?" I think when push comes to shove, he'll he, show up. Hopefully, his people would talk to him and tell him like, "Hey, you need to go do this. It's one year. Suck it up and go play." But I still think there's gonna be some drama to it.
2: Um, I kind of hope you're right, just for like for our job and for stuff to talk about. But <laughs> like Kawhi, uh, let me. Where's the camera we're in? Yeah, Wait, yeah talk to Kawhi. Him. Do not sit out another season, bro. No. Like that's a, 20 it's, mil you a you're giving away. Well, 20 mil, yeah. And then potential future earnings, because if you do that twice, like I don't care how good you are, if you do that twice, there are going to be people that try to keep you out of this league forever. Don't, whoever's advising you, if they tell you that, they don't need to be advising you anymore. Don't sit out another season.
1: One of the things I was bummed about was you had one of these best friendships in the NBA. Yeah, like with Kyle Lowry and, De- and DeMar DeRozan. So we put it together a little compilation, the best of Lowry and DeRozan's friendship. Nah, we just look forward to it as, as another challenge. You know, we never look
2: at it in a negative way. Man, any, t- any, any chance we get, man, stop playing with me, man. I'm trying to be professional. <laughs> That's Excuse your answer. Me. I'm sorry. That's look, your answer. I love that I'm hat. about to
3: go home, all right? Hey, world. Yeah, I'm going to go home. Hit me later, all right? You can't
2: sleep with that. you know? <laughs> But you want to you to do,
3: all right, uh, I'm a Facetime you. Come on, we got it on the We On the crowd. baby.
2: This kind of makes me sad. I, me too. Hey, I'm like tearing up over
1: here. This is awesome. I, I want, and then like on a serious topic, like Demar Derozan opened up about struggling with depression and stuff. I. I'm a little bit concerned for him. Like, where is he mentally when he's not with his best friend, when he's in a new city, when he's going to San Antonio? Like, how does that play out? And he's already been vocal on Instagram about how he feels like he was stabbed on the back. Like, how does that play out with a player? He feels like he was deceived, and 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 he's got a right to feel that way. But if he's already expressed this you know, uh, issue he has mentally, like how does that impact him? How does it impact his state of mind? Because if you are not in a great spot, it does impact your play.
2: Yeah, it can. Um, what I'll say to that is that DeMar DeRozan's only ever played for one team. And you see this a lot with guys that come in. Um, to some degree, it happened with Gordon Hayward. And I was on, like, CBS Sports at the time. And and, we, and I, I said to Gordon about Utah, and I caught a lot of flack from Utah's go like see something else. Yeah. Because that's there's the other stuff out there and that's all you know. There's cool and so to DeMar, to the point about Demars, I think he'll be fine. It sucks when you get traded. He feels like, you know, they sold him a bill of goods and, you know, NBA was really vocal yesterday and supported Demar DeRozan and the way he was treated. Um now sure like front offices and, and, and they'd have no responsibility to tell you what they're gonna do, but a guy of his caliber, a four time all star, kind of the face of your franchise and has been there forever, I, I thought you owed him a little bit more than the way they told him one day he was good. And then the next day they traded him. But having said that, I think once he gets to San Antonio and realizes that they run a first class organization, um, pop is as like player friendly a coaches. There is like their, their culture, um, while demanding is very very is very very loose. So I th- I think that he will be fine at the end of the day. It's going to suck right now, but once you get there and you and you allow yourself to be a part of it, cuz that's the thing. Like if you don't allow yourself to be a part of it, then it'll suck. But I think once he submits to the culture there, um he's he's going to be fine. He's going to be he's going to be just fine. And and then you know, I the bigger the bigger the bigger question to me is like what what this does to like the stars in the league and the relationships that they have with GMs as this news continues you know to get out that these people are straight like lying to their partners and you know, fans don't look at it as a partnership, right. but it is a partnership. Your front office and your, and your star, like that's a partnership. Yeah. Like, you know, in the front office, he's got to do his job and LeBron catches a lot of flack for maybe stepping on GM's toes and stuff like that, but any good GM is going to consult. You see, you see Palinka and, and Magic doing it right now, talking about running things by LeBron and making sure that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, 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 a clear Path and picture of where they want to go, and so you know th- these relationships are, are now to some degree in jeopardy. The more this type of stuff gets out,
1: you guys get partnerships. NFL players, yeah, anything. Well, Maybe a handful of quarterbacks, but even those guys don't get partnerships. And Aaron Rodgers right. complain about personnel forever, and they don't really like different business personnel. model. Absolutely, yeah. it is. Uh, so Demar DeRozan listen to have a listen to him. This is after he signed his new deal. This was two years ago. I get why he feels slighted after you listen to this.
2: You know, that was my whole mindset of of taking one meeting. Cause I put my blood, sweat, and tears in this organization and, you know, I wasn't done yet. You know, I'm I'm far from done. You know, I felt like, even to this day, I feel like I haven't accomplished what I want to accomplish yet, you know, and that's just a hunger in me, man. And it's just crazy to be sitting here, you know, I'm gonna be back for five, five more years, you know. I am Toronto, you know, outside of where I'm from, you know, I represent this thing harder than anybody. You know, i got so many goals that I want to accomplish still, and I just can't wait to put that jersey back on and, you know, keep going.
1: All right, so DeMar obviously had his welcome to the NBA moment, like welcome to professional sports. We both agree on that. From the Raptors' standpoint, do you think they did anything wrong? Like is it wrong the way they handled this? Yeah. Is it wrong the fact they traded him?
2: I don't think that trading him is wrong. I think, like, you do what you have. It's your job. It's your franchise. You do what you have to do to protect it and put it in the best position to win. Uh, when you sit in front of a guy no more than five days before that and you tell him that you're not trading him to his face and then you trade him. Yeah, that is wrong on some level. That's wrong. I I mean, it's your right to do whatever you want, but yes, I, I do think that that's wrong.
1: So I was on the New York Giants. I was the starting quarterback. It was, I had just gotten a new contract. Wasn't a huge deal, but it was like a fair deal. And we were playing against the Washington Redkins, and we were, like, struggling a little bit. And Jim Fossil came up to me in the pregame. Like, we were throwing around, doing warm-ups. I was tossing, and he was kind of standing next to me. And he was like, hey, he's like, me and you, he's like, we're going to be like Marino and Shula." I was like, we, I can see us having a long, you know, we can have a long run together. Yeah. I was like, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> we're, like, yeah we're let's good. do it. Not that game. The very next game we played the Green Bay Packers, got benched in the middle of the game and never started again for the New York Giants. And I felt a little bit of that, but I also understand where he was from because he probably realized, hey, I was a young quarterback. I needed a boost of confidence. So sure. I get it. Like I've never been mad at him for saying that, but I think it's just kind of, you have to take everything in the, in the business and it's all business. You have to just be careful. With trusting, and it kind of stinks like you have to feel that way, but you always have to watch your own back. Yeah, of course. You have to be careful. So,
2: Ken – I thought Kenny the Jet said it well. He was like – on somebody caught him like in an airport, and he was like, look, it's business. Mm-hmm. He was like, but in business, if somebody gives you like an assurance that something's yeah. going to happen, like even in business, like you kind of take their word for that. If they give you the insurance that right. this is going to go down, right? And so – I think that that was the poopy part of this yeah. deal. Like, I don't look. You get Kawhi Leonard for Demar Derozan. You think you can retain Kawhi? That makes sense, right? Um, but this is like this is the debate I get into. Like about fans. Like fans of their team generally are like we talk about this all the time. They they are good for whatever works with the team. Now players are invested. You could see the emotion and the investment that he had um to Toronto and to the organization. Like fans then get pissed when guys don't act like that. But when you act like that and you put yourself out there and you and you're vulnerable and you and like it it hurts when they let you go as callously as they let Demar Derozan go. So as a player, like while I loved where I was and I played for the love of the game and I tried to win championships and I was invested wherever I was, I was never going to let. A fan or any type of pressure from that organization sway me. I wanted the most money I could get from whoever was giving it to me. And that's the way I treated it because it was my business. So if anybody out there, any of you guys on Twitter, anybody, I don't care. Right. If any of you tell me any NBA player or NFL player or anybody else should do anything other than get every single penny that they can get when they can get it, you're wrong.
1: Yeah. No, you're spot on. It's, uh, it affected my relationship with my coaches. Because I had a real hard time developing a real deep relationship because in the back of my mind, I was always that. That was my, yeah. like, hey, this guy might bench me, might cut me, might do whatever it was. And it's, like, it it impacted me. Like, I, And I had other players who were, like, chummy and they'd brown nose and they'd be like, hey, let's go play golf and all this stuff. And right. I never – I never could fake it that much to get to it. Yeah. Um, we're going to do our picks and props. We're going to pick the British Open. It's going on right now. Uh, I can't wait to see because I think I know who you're going to pick. I think it's – I, mean, I I just – I'll haunt who you're going to get to. We're going to do a little British Open talk a little bit later. But speaking of golf, so Phil Mickelson, greatest short game magician maybe the game has ever known. You've got to see what he did the other day because it was all over the place. It was trending on social media. This was a fan who gave him a challenge, the Flop Shot Challenge.
2: Did he just stand right in front of him?
1: Yes. Like two like, feet. Oh! That's kind of scary because no. if it comes up, you wouldn't do it? No. I wonder how tall that dude is. is he like five three. Um, <laughs> because I don't know if we could do maybe, it. Maybe, but taller. That ball popped straight up. Yeah, off of like a brown surface. I'm telling you, that's that's filthy. But that's his fly. He made the flop shot famous. Could really you,
2: did. Like, could you do that out of a fluffy lie? I know you could. I've seen you play, so you could probably pop that ball straight up with a little bit of cushion or anything. Yeah, it. yeah could, could, but I
1: wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it like a person standing there. But I could do it if you gave me right. You have like ten tries. I could do it.
2: I like my flop, so I'm pretty sure I can do it, too. But yeah. off of a brown surface like
1: that, could you get under that ball and get it up? I don't know if I can do it that close. Like, that dude was really, really close to him. Uh All right, so we talked about the Manny Machado trade. We're going to get uh, get in a little bit more into that in a bit. But – Speaking of trades, like there is that side of the broken friendships. You're also going to be able to start some new friendships. You've got to hear this sound because this is a couple of his upcoming teammates on the Dodgers. They're out chilling on a boat on the All Star break. Justin Turner and Alex Wood. Have a listen to them when they find out the news. They're getting Machado.
3: It's done. It's done. Yeah, we got Manny, dude. We got Manny. Yeah. We got Manny. Got Manny <laughs> baby. We got Manny. We got Manny,
2: so organic that was,
1: was I, like mean, that. I mean come on why did they stage that so, so bad so like, poorly like and then had the text come in like why are you videoing you guys looking at your phones waiting for a text to come like in? if you're gonna stage it like that then you just need to be <laughs>
2: flipping off the boat or doing something
1: right the high five you know what the sad part is i think a lot of people think that was organic uh, like, and that's just the fans who want to believe that uh, i don't know i don't think it- there. all right did you know you can get the best highlights and biggest sports stories right in your inbox every morning with a cbs sports hq newsletter that's right all you have to do is go to cbssports.com backslash hq daily to subscribe it's packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day make sure you go do that you can also go to cbsports.com and you can get all your headlines and that's where we're gonna go now with some read and react with raja
2: okay brother manny machado deal is finally done all right he's traded to the dodgers um Five prospects. He's viewed as just a rental because he's going to be a free agent this summer. Uh, But the Dodgers now are uh, 13-2, right? Is that how I would say it in gambling terms to (laughs) to win the World Series? And plus 280 to win the NL.
1: Uh, I would maybe take a flyer on the plus uh, 280 to win the National League. You are getting a top-tier player, and he doesn't get the love if Bryce Harper gets, and yet if you stack their stats up next to each other, they're almost identical. I think you're getting an outstanding player. Granted, you had to give up a boatload, and the Orioles desperately needed, it as one of the worst organizations. But I'm glad this happened from a lot of perspectives. We talked to David Sampson earlier in the week about this, and he was like, hey, the Orioles might blow this. They might not do it. Good for Manny Machado. He's going to get to shop around next year, but this is your opportunity to go get a World Series after you've been in this just mired in a bad situation. Gets them a little taste of LA in case they want to give them that big, bigger extension. Right. So I think it, it works out for everybody. Like this is a win-win for everybody. It's a win for baseball. Like I think it's a, it's a slam dunk. Like way to go baseball.
2: Way to go baseball. All right. I feel like I'm just getting you warmed up here because I think you're going to like <laughs> yeah. this one. All right. So UNC football coach Larry Fedora at the ACC media day says, our game is under attack. I fear that the game will be pushed Preach! so far. What? Let me hear. We Preach! go again. I fear that our game will be pushed so far from what we know that we won't recognize it in ten years from now. All right, stop there. And, <laughs> yeah. All right. Because here I go. And if it does, our country will go down too. Larry Fedora.
1: Yeah, he brought the heat a little too strong on that one. I can't fully endorse it. Like I, I totally agree. Like I, I got, a, I got into trouble a couple years ago because I said there was a war on football. I do think there is a. I don't know why or where it comes from specifically, but there is an attack on football. People are when you're proposing laws to not let anybody under the age of 14 play tackle football. That is an attack on the game because if you do that, you will kill the sport down the road. Where I can't get behind Larry Fedora is where he goes and he says our country's going to go down. You don't think they go hand in hand? Here's where here's where I would defend. No, they don't go hand (laughs) in hand because obviously we survived whatever 100 years, 200 years before we had football. I think we survived after. But I think what he's trying to say, and this is this is me interpreting Larry Fedora, but this is my feelings about the game of football as well, is that the game of football offers some really valuable lessons that it can teach you, like character, and some of them like you know, the old axiom of, hey, when you knock down you gotta get back again you gotta get up again. Right. Like you have to do that metaphorically speaking, but in football it actually teaches you how to do that from a physical standpoint, because you're gonna get knocked down every single play but by doing that and by learning that hey if I get back up I can do this I can overcome this I can get hit in the mouth and I can get back it does teach you later in life how to do that in business in your personal life in relationships all those types of things there are so many valuable lessons that the game of football teaches i think that's what he's saying like our country is a better place if we have the game of football <laughs> hopefully that's what he's saying cuz i think he he just he lost me a little bit there
2: yeah um but i agree i like look i like my kids play football. Yeah. Um, I like my basketball kids to play football. And while I, I am a basketball guy, I do think that football offers some, some lessons and some, uh, some just overall mental and physical toughness that other sports don't. And kids can clear those hurdles, realize that everything's okay. Um, and it helps them, you know, in the long run.
1: So he went on to say, he's basically saying exactly what I'm saying. He's saying, this is from Larry Fedora. He later added, there's no doubt in my mind, I think the lessons that you learn in the game of football relate to everything that's going to happen in the rest of your life. It's exactly what I just said. And if we stop learning those lessons, we're going to struggle. I think in some ways we're struggling now more than we ever have. Are we going to be a perfect country? No, but I think the game of football has a major impact on who we are as a country. Now, my problem, my biggest problem, this is what irritates me more than anything, is the reaction when you defend the sport. So, Within an hour of his comments, Dan Wolken from USA Today had a comment, a, a, a article written, headline up, and it says Fedora should be fired for his comments. Ugh. And that's where like how can you well, th- what's the basis why? So because he- he's reckless, because it's a state run, you know, university, because he's putting his players in danger, because he's not acknowledging that the the risk of CTE, and that's again, Fedora got himself in a little bit of trouble when he talked about CTE. His quote was, I don't think that it's been proven the game of football causes CTE, but that's been put out there. Right. We don't really know yet. He was a little bit too cavalier. Like, you with be, that. You gotta, and this is Across football, we've seen NFL owners bungle this conversation. We've seen coaches screw this up. You have to be very sensitive because there there are things that we don't know. Correct. And the best thing you can say is that the fear is outpacing the science. Like, that's exactly where we are right now. There's so much hysteria over the sport, and we simply don't know. We do know there is CT. We do know it's a real thing. We do know that there are players who are committing suicide at an alarming rate. But what are we going to do to, you know, to provide a solution? The game is safer. We're taking those steps to try to protect players more than we ever have. Um, but when you go out there and deny that link is there at all, that's where you get yourself in trouble. But again, for Dan Wolken to go say, Hey, this guy's got to be fired because he has this opinion. He's not a doctor. He's not, he's not saying anything that's too, you know, uh, negligent where he should be fired. That's my thing where, all right, there's an attack on the game when you can't even voice your opinion about the sport. Correct. Correct. Well, let's move on to fired a guy up. who's leaving the game. I figured I'd get you fired up on that. Yeah. Uh, a guy who
2: played football for a long time, cornerback Darrell Revis, he officially announces his retirement. Uh, Revis says on Instagram, For the past 11 years, it has truly been an honor to showcase one of my greatest gifts to the world. Today, I'm closing a chapter in my life that I once dreamed of as a kid, and I am officially retiring from the National Football League. My passion to play the game at an elite level brought fun and excitement to the term shutdown corner, which was nearly on the verge of extinction, covering some of the toughest assignments in the league, in league history was a challenge every Sunday, but also an honor within this game we all love. I played 11, they had 11-year career, seven-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, and a Super Bowl champ with the Patriots.
1: Unbelievable career, uh, career for Durrell Rivas. Rivas Island became an axiom that everybody referred to, and even wide receivers were like, yeah, this guy's the best there is. Uh, quarterbacks completed 46% of their passes when they attempted to throw his way for uh, just 5.8 yards per attempt. He was the definition of a lockdown corner. I do... Like when you, I, I, I love to see players who can go off and walk into the sunset and go out in a high note. Yeah. I do feel like the last couple years of Darrell Rivas' career were a little bit of an afterthought. And it's like, oh man, I, I don't like the way it ended for him, but good for him to realize now it's the right time. Now the conversation will be, will he be in the Hall of Fame? I think absolutely. When you look at seven Pro Bowls, he got the Super Bowl with the Patriots. Yeah. Hall of Famer, it'll be there. I don't know if he'll be that first ballot Hall of Famer. But, uh, one of the best to ever do it. Revis Island. Yeah. We should have a pick and prop on whether he's a first ballot guy. Yeah, that'd
2: be a good one. You know who could help us with that? Our boy Debo. Picks and props <laughs> with Debo. <laughs> That's right.
3: Okay, I'm gonna pose it. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer?
1: I'm gonna say no. Uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of like the TO one and someone like, if you're beloved by the media, you get in faster. A lot of it has to do with the position you play. Because he's a defensive back, because he didn't have multiple Super Bowls, Mm. I'm going to say it takes him a couple tries to get in. I'm
2: going to say yes. You are. Um, I think Revis Revis Island, like his point about the, like that kind of being the position being a little bit obscure, and then he comes along and and Revis Island is all the rage. And I'm on Instagram now, and there there's this generation of kids that all just want to be shut down DBs. Like you know, you had the Richard Shermans of the world. I think he brought that back into vogue and i think that he got his he's this fact that he got the super bowl i think was the cherry on top so i i'll give him
1: first ballot i hate doing the 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 hall of fame discussion i'm not very good at it yeah, i don't i know don't, I don't know historically like the stats of what guys do what they do get you know who gets right. in who doesn't and what the delineation is as far as statistics go but i'll tell you one thing all those voters they don't they're not on instagram right. <laughs> i'm gonna say for that reason to right. wait a little bit
3: that's a uh, pick we'll have to wait five years for the result. So I'm going to add it to the standings in five years when off the bench with Canel and Bell is still going strong. Right. But today we can find out our pick. The British Open teeing off at 1.35 a.m. So a lot of guys are even towards the end of their round right now. Tiger Woods and Hideki Matsuyama don't tee off until 10.31. Tiger slightly favored in this first round matchup. So the pick is just who finishes with a better score on Thursday. Who are you going with? I'll let you take this one first.
1: Ah,
2: uh, I like Hideki. Hideki's.
1: You are? You're going to go with him? I'm going to take Hideki. Oh, yes. Yeah, awesome. Hideki. I was going to take Hideki <laughs> if you yeah. took Tiger. I think Tiger is in a really good place right now, and a lot of it has to do with the course they're playing at Carnoustie. We sure. talked about this a little bit, yes, with Mark uh, Mark Elman. It is burned out. It's dried out. You won't have to hit driver, and Tiger can hit that stinger, that low stinger, let it get on the let ground go. and run, run, run. And he's really creative. He even talked about it, how this is course in the British Open specifically – like you have to have a creative mind and that's one of his best strengths, coming up with these unbelievable shots. So I'm gonna say Tiger gets the win against there, this one. I don't, I don't know, that know that the, the whole tournament, but in this matchup he's gonna have a better score
3: than Matsuyama. There
2: are very few times where like I, I pick and I hope that I'm wrong. I hope you beat me. Fun.
3: But I really do hope that I'm wrong on this. <laughs> I thought you guys were both gonna pick Tiger, so I was gonna fade you and pick Hideki, but I have the chance ah. to go ahead of Raja today, so I'm oh. going with Tiger Woods. Uh the prop it's Thank you. Still the all-star break for baseball. We picked before the season. I don't even remember our World Series picks, but we're going to do it again. Our updated World Series odds. The Dodgers climbing up that list, but the defending World Champions, the Astros, still the favorite at 14 to 1, or 4 to 1 rather. The Red Sox and Yankees follow. I'm going Homer again down at the bottom of the list. I don't need to tell you who I'm picking. Phillies at 15 to 1. Of
1: course you are. Of course you are. Even though they lost out on Manny Machado because there was rumors he was going to go there. I'm gonna go with Yankees, my, my squad. I'm rolling with my the squad. squad. I think they're gonna make a move to boost up the bun, uh, the bullpen a little bit. Sonny Gray has been atrocious. There's, everybody knows they're gonna to try to booster that, uh, starting rotation. You got that, all those, those, those bombers. Break after going this. Up. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go with the Yankees.
2: I'm gonna take the Cubs. I'm gonna take childhood sentiment. I used nice. to go to Wrigley with my dad, standing room only. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna take the Cubs.
1: All right, perfect. we like to consider ourselves relevant, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. So we also like to talk about what's socially relevant and yeah, everybody socially. was talking about the Toronto Raptors, you know, the trade yesterday. Well, Drake it has to chime in as of the course. official spokesman for the Toronto Raptors. So he officially said goodbye to DeMarta Rosen and he welcomed Kawhi Leonard with a, uh, a tearjerker. Like this was hard. I want 10 million thank yous, uh, on behalf of your city. You're a fixture in Toronto forever and you gave everything you had through your leadership and had the most exciting years, blah, 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 blah. And then he welcomed Kawhi. Look forward to seeing the next chapter and I'm going to have your jersey on. I like, can, he didn't say all that, but it's, <laughs> I, he should have done the in your feelings challenge with him.
2: Yeah. Like that. that <laughs> I, I like, I kind of like it though. I mean, Drake, yeah. but I, you know what? I've said it before. I don't like you infusing yourself into every single thing. Rapidly. Yes.
1: Yeah, he definitely does. Stay in your lane do a little you, bit. Do you think this was intentional from the Spurs? Because a lot of people thought it was, because look at the font sizes. Oh, dude. Like yeah. so you got the huge welcome to Mar, Jakob, uh, thank you, Danny, and then tiny. You could almost like it's like the test at the eye doctor, like to go in that small. Like, thank you, Kawhi.
2: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and they're so good and so passive aggressive and so like subtle. Like, yes, that was intentional exactly. for sure.
1: Exactly. All right, Debo, let's do some topics, man. What do you got for us today?
3: Speaking of in my feelings, DeMarcus Cousins, not known to care about the feelings of refs. He's not known to care about the feelings of players that he bruises in the paint. He doesn't care about your feelings or my feelings.
2: I'm saying that now because i am seeing the reaction, but I didn't get it. I knew what my ace was and he made the call. I, I like his style. Like, I do. <laughs> like, true. yeah. I, like, why? learn that from you. Why would I give a rip about you as a fan? And, and like, this is my career. Um, I'm the one that's torn Achilles. I'm the one that has to rehab. I'm the one that at the end of the day, if I don't have a championship, someone's going to crucify as not being the type of player that I probably should have been. So this is the perfect time to get it right now. I'm going to go get it. And I don't. NBA players end up – stop giving a rip what fans think. Do you, bro. It's your career, it's your life, it's your family's well-being.
1: You would have never heard these types of comments 10 years ago. You know why? Because we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Instagram. This is a direct result of players being – because they get more of a real glimpse of what fans think. Because right. all it takes a fan to do is go tweet at them, fire it away, and then the player reads it, and you're like, this is the people that are rooting for me supposedly. Right. And so it's really easy to become disgruntled and be like, you know what, screw you guys, exactly like he said. So – I just I think it's it's the where we are as a society and it kind of stinks, but I think you're going to see more and more players get like that. Yeah, I think
2: it's cool though because like we are not allowed like when we're on the court we get fined for telling you to go. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You know what I mean? And you've yeah. got you buy the ticket and that's what you hide behind. Like I buy a ticket, I can say whatever I want. Right. Okay. Well, I got social media, baby. <laughs> I can say whatever I want. Exactly. Like
3: I don't got no beef with it. Another top five pick on the move this offseason. New Bull Jabari Parker is a Chicago kid, and former Bull Derek Rose is also a Chicago kid. So Parker wasn't taking any D-Rose slander during his introductory press conference yesterday. But as a Bulls fan, what did you think of kind of the rise and fall, like what happened with Derek and seeing how high he went and then kind of how low things got? How how did you look at it from afar? I mean, Derek had no lows. He didn't, because he still maintained.
1: And uh, you know, Derek is a legend. No matter what, like I don't like how you ex- explain that.
3: Raja, he must be talking to your boy. But as a what did you? Because he said this the other day after the World Cup
0: win. We are really proud of
2: of of all of us. Why we did? People criticize us from the start. Now you can see Antoine Griezmann. It's going to be English, Antoine. It's going to be English. I, I, You're under pressure. I love Derek Rose. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very <laughs> That's so, that was incredible. that's so random. Um, but I mess with Jabari, I mess with Jabari though, because like, that's his, that's his boy. They're from the same town. And although I'm a, I question Derek and whether he loved the game and so on and so forth, he was fantastic when he was healthy. And it was only, five fantastic. And it was only like he, when you're injured that often, major, major knee injuries and in your game is predicated on speed and like agility and, and, and burst, Like, you're not going to be the same guy when you come back after multiple injuries. So that was only when the decline started happening.
3: Before that, Derrick Rose was fantastic. Boom. So it was supposed to be a special day for Russell Wilson. He released his signature shoe, the Danger Russ one. To me, Uh, looks fine. Me and Danny uh, talked about it this morning. But you guys are the sneakerheads. However, this next video doesn't look fine. Russ and his wife, Sierra, at the ESPYs, the guy who created the In My Feelings Challenge, which – Sierra killed and Russell Wilson promptly murdered. As for a pick, but he stiff arms Russell Wilson out of the frame in the process, and you know <laughs> Russell is salty over that.
1: That is fantastic.
3: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I
1: love that he had to like just get out of here. He's like, I, Yo, I don't he's... want you in a picture. I love that. I love how awkward Russell is.
2: Yeah, he's like, okay. <laughs>
1: he's a comedian from where where is he from? New York? I don't know, but he's it's... killing it. Like all of a sudden he is absolutely blown up. He uh the shoes though, those are the equivalent of the Steph Curry shoes, which got Crushed because they were all white and they look like nursing shoes. Yes. Like those are the exact same version except they're all black. And I just don't like shoes that don't have any accents that are all one color like that block color. I just, I just don't, don't like it. Yeah, I
2: don't like the block color. I don't like the, I don't like the shoe in general. Like why, why is Russell Wilson selling shoes? Like why is he selling hey, not, go not, ran, cleats. Why not, wouldn't you take them though? Like Nike, like how many football players get their own shoe from Nike that's not a cleat? Right, but <laughs> you won't sell cleats. You need to sell shoes. Nah, but I'm asking, like, how many people have done like Dion did it? Right? Yeah. Who Not else? Not many football players. Like AJ Watt has a shoe, but AJ Watt has a shoe. See, i this Reebok, is ignorance. Reebok, I don't know I anything. Think
1: it's Reebok. I think that's
2: why. No, I'm just wondering, like Russell Wilson. Like I, like I, maybe he's that dope. I mean. I wouldn't I just wouldn't go
1: out and buy a Russell Wilson shoe why don't well we'll find out who met how many people will all right we teased it off the top of the show let's get to our boy Barrett Salee he is live in Atlanta at the unofficial start of college football season that's why I love it because you start to get the blood flowing a little bit talking some ball Barrett how's it going man Atlanta or Birmingham first off which one's been better
0: selfishly, man, Atlanta, because it's nine miles from my house. But honestly, uh, professionally, too, uh, it's way better because things are more spread out. Um, It's more of a a convention than it is a media event. And you actually get to talk to people instead of shouting over people to talk to, uh, to these athletes and these players or these coaches. So. I like it here. I think it'll end up staying here next year. Obviously, it's going to be in Birmingham, but it wouldn't surprise me because the Hall of Fame's here. It just makes sense uh, that this sort of served, like you said, as the unofficial kickoff to college football season.
1: All right, before we get to the hardcore football stuff, let's have some fun with a little superlatives here. All right, so the coach – so I think the, the, it's – I'm going to give you some harder questions because I don't want to give you the easy layups. So you can't answer Nick Saban to this first one, all right? It's the coach the least enthused right. to talk to the media, not named Nick Saban.
0: Oh, man, the least enthused to talk to the media, not you know, Barry Odom. I, from Missouri. I mean, he, it's like he's all football. He's always been all football. And I think in this event, you know, Missouri could use a guy to sort of step up and be a little bit more personable, but he just doesn't care. He, you know, he's a defensive minded, hard nosed coach. And, you know, he, he comes in and says, like, look, I'm, I'm here. My defense is going to be this. My offense is going to be this. Drew Locke's a good quarterback. Bye. So I, you know, he, he wants to coach. He doesn't want to be here. And quite honestly, with the way that football team looks this year, I probably wouldn't want to be here either.
2: All right. So what's what's the most common question posed to these coaches or athletes?
0: Talk about X and mostly yeah. talk about your quarterback situation, whether it's a controversy like Tua and Jalen or, you know, a guy like Jared Stidham or Drew Locke or Jake Bentley or, you know, whoever is an established quarterback. It's, it's basically talk about your quarterback, which is the lamest, most ridiculous question ever. We're supposed to actually ask questions that, you know, have, you know, a question mark attached to the end of them. But it's you know, like it, there are so many quarterback issues in this league, whether it be, you know, a guy like Stidham or Drew Locke or Nick Fitzgerald who are established stars. Or you know questions like you have at Alabama and Texas A&M. So I, I think that's the the thing that sort of stands out is that you know on the positive side or on the negative side there there always seems to be something that you can talk about and, and address from the quarterback situation.
1: All right. Talk about Tua versus Jen. No, I'm just kidding. No, but Let's do a little bit of Bama though, because the, the Bama is awesome. They're good. They're going to get back and they'll be good as long as Saban is around. So yesterday he actually, he was trying to reassure mm-hmm. Bama fans as he always does. And he quote, he was said, quote, Miss Terry doesn't want me at home. Talking about his wife. He's 66. He's going to be 67 <laughs> during the season. How much longer do you think Saban is on the sidelines?
0: Yeah, Miss Terry doesn't want him on a boat either. We know how that went this summer with his players. No, I think look, his contract is is through another what six, seven years. I would be surprised if he lasts through that contract. I mean, that's I've always been of the belief that Nick Saban's going to find a way to ride off in the sunset. Um, you know, last year obviously it would have been a good good spot to do that, but he's not ready to hang it up. So uh, I don't think he'll be around to the end of the contract. At that point, he'll be what seventy two, seventy three years old. He's got grandkids now, and and look, there's a personal side to all this. You know, at some point you you. Realize as a grown up, as a man, as an adult, that, you know, you miss a lot if you're a coach. You miss a lot of your family growing up. So uh, I think the fact that he's a grandfather now, he has changed a little bit. He's certainly softened up personally a little bit. And I think of it, over the next couple of years, he's going to say, hey, look, I, I got this with my kids. I didn't get to see a lot of them. I didn't get to see them grow up. Now I've got these grandkids. Uh, let me go ahead and find a way to ride off in the sunset. But he's going to try to find the perfect spot. I think he's going to, you know, whether it's a, another walk off touchdown to win a national championship or, or something else. I think he's going to look for that moment and then know that that's it and hang it up and, uh, and then enjoy his family time.
2: And so there, there's a huge focus on the coaches this year. There's six new ones in the conference. Like, Who do you expect to have the most success off the bat and who do you think will struggle the most in their first year or two?
0: Well, I think right off the bat, it'll be Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. I know that's not a sexy team and not a sexy name, but you know, he's got 17 starters back. He's got a quarterback situation that's as healthy as any in the SEC outside of Tuscaloosa with Nick Fitzgerald and Keeton Thompson. He's got a really good group of running backs and that defense at Mississippi State was really good last year and they returned basically everybody. So I think in the short term, Mississippi State's a team that's going to be at the very least a tough out and Joe Moorhead's enough of an offensive genius where he's going to make that offense click. I think, better than it has under Dan Mullen. And we talked to Nick Fitzgerald yesterday, and he said, hey, look, there's a lot more downfield in this offense. Dan Mullen has always been more about efficiency. That's what Tim Tebow did. That's what he won, won the Heisman for. But when he got to the NFL, he wasn't necessarily groomed for success. I think Joe Moorhead. You saw what he did at Penn State with Trace McSorley. The dude's a wizard. He knows how to get production out of uh, out of his quarterback. So I think Mississippi State, at least in the short term, uh, is going to have the more the most success of the new coaches with Joe Moorhead. Uh, the least success I think is Chad Morris. And that's not to say Arkansas uh, made the the wrong hire with Chad Morris. I just think with with those pieces, I mean, Brett Bielema to Chad Morris is, is like uh, going from one side to the other. The pendulum swings uh, to, to way to the other side. I just don't think they've got a quarterback. Their top quarterback, Cole Kelly, he's never run anything like this. He doesn't run tempo. That's not anything he does. And then on top of that, I think he failed miserably uh, by hiring John Chavis as his defensive coordinator. You have to find a coordinator defensively that can deal with these up-tempo offense. And John Chavis, I think, stubbornly just flat-out refuses to do that. So I think it's going take a long time for arkansas to become relevant in the sec west if they ever do under chad morris
1: barrett i took a little bit of heat from some georgia fans because i said they had to prove last season wasn't a fluke and that's probably the wrong word to use because i don't think it was a fluke but i do feel like they have to validate like they have to show that they've arrived on the scene that they're here to stay and with the schedule where they go to lsu they play auburn those are the two teams from the sec west you get Mullen at florida they should be better uh do you, do you like are you as confident as everybody is that SEC uh, that Georgia is just going to waltz through the SEC East and be back in the SEC championship game?
0: Yeah, I do think they'll wall through the SEC East, Danny. But I'm with you in this in the respect that you know they have to prove it. You've seen first-time head coaches or young head coaches in this conference have some success and then fizzle out. You've also seen some coaches like Urban Meyer and Nick Saban when he comes in and you know have this ultimate success. I mean, look, Gene Chizik won a national championship in his second year, but he didn't know how to handle success. Will Muschamp went to a Sugar Bowl in his second year, didn't know how to handle success. Gus Malzahn almost got fired after you know becoming 13 seconds within a national championship. Then he figured it out last year, so there are ups and downs, and and I think for Kirby Smart, he's never done this before. Now he has ten years, more than ten years, under his belt uh, on Saban's staff, so he's seen firsthand what it takes to sustain success. I think he's got an easier job than most but most of those other coaches because he's at Georgia. Uh, Kirby Smart can can recruit heavily. He's done a great job here, so I think from from a personnel standpoint, he's on the right track. But no, I mean you're right. Uh, Kirby did a great great job in year two. Now he's got to figure out how to coach with a target on his back. And that's not easy, especially for young coaches. I think he can do it. I think this, the experience under Saban will help. I think the personnel on that roster will help. Uh, but, no, I mean, I think that's a valid point to say, hey, look, um, we got to see what he does now to, to, to sort of validate what kind of coach and what kind of program Georgia is. I think he'll do it, but it's, it's okay to, to play a wait-and-see game.
1: Quickly, in about 30 seconds, what's the fan base most likely to customize a jersey with the down-and-distance on it?
0: Uh, Alabama. <laughs> we saw that yesterday. Look, I, I, I didn't I didn't go over to the Hall of Fame all that much, but I did see Ring Hat Guy. I did see all the crazy fans, all the fine bomb callers that are on the payroll were over there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Alabama fans are a little crazy over there.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Barrett, thanks a lot. Make sure you go follow Barrett, at Barrett Salee on Twitter. He's been at SEC Media Days. He's always here on CBS Sports HQ. He's a great uh, football writer and analyst for us here. Thanks for joining us, man. All right, see you, boys. All right, I had a Debo. I told Debo I wanted him to Photoshop that jersey where it said second place SEC West on it, but uh, I think it was a little bit too complicated to try to do that, which I think would have been more <laughs> And it would have been a great troll job for that one, uh, but he didn't get that done. He's been working too hard for us here. Uh, all right, enjoy your British Open today. I knew you were going to yep. do that, right? Take yes, a little nap. Take watch a little watch nap. Then watch. Yep. Yeah, so enjoy that. We'll break that down tomorrow, see if Tiger Woods wins his matchup with Matsuyama. Yeah. We'll get some other stuff. See if Kawhi Leonard shows up for the Raptors and gives a little opening press conference. We'll get to that. Uh, but as always, make sure you go follow us on Twitter and at Instagram at Canel and Bell.